This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. This is the end of year beehive banter wrap. This is where Brent and I argue over who we think is the politician of the year, who is the loser of the year, and what we think are the highlights and lowlights of the parliamentary year. So firstly, what a year. If you remember, at the beginning of 2023, Jacinda Ardern was the Prime Minister, and the polls indicated a very close election. Then on the 19th of January, the PM held a press conference to what we all thought was the date of the election, which she did, followed by, by the way, it won't be me. No fire left in the belly. I'm out, she said. And then... She was gone. Seems so long ago, Brent. Yeah, I know. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's a hell of a year, to be honest. When you think <laughs> yeah. of the, yeah, the Prime Minister resigning and then Chris Hipkins taking over and, and gosh, I mean, the roll call of ministers who, who fell by the wayside because of various yeah. scandals. Um, yeah. I mean, who would have thunk? Well, I don't know that anyone would have picked all of that no. at the beginning of the year. <laughs> well, let's go back to what I've mentioned there. Chris Hipkins elected as Labour, a leader and PM. In hindsight, was it always a poison chalice? Well, I don't know if it's a poison chalice, but I think in hindsight, and and he knew it from the very start, that it was going to be a tough call or tough year in terms of trying to get re-elected. You Although know, it was a 50-50 call at that point, wasn't it? Well, no, no. Um, at that point, Labor had fallen behind in the polls. And it was interesting to me because a few on the left who have disliked Chris Hipkins because they saw him cancelling capital gains tax and wealth tax yeah. and saw that as being... Forgetting, of course, that Jacinda Ardern had ruled that out yeah. long ago herself, but that seemed to be, oh, no, fine. They, they sort of made the point of saying, oh, well, he'd been left with this great position by one of the greatest politicians in the world, Jacinda Ardern, and he had blown it all. Well, in fact... When Jacinda Ardern handed over to Chris Hickman's, Labour was behind national polls and it was looking pretty much likely that you would have a National Act government. Hipkins yep. took over, and in the immediate, I mean, I was a bit surprised, I have to say, because in the immediate sort of honeymoon spot, if you like, support lifted and Labour went ahead of national yeah. in the polls and were ahead for you know a month or two until... They you know, a number of ministers decided, well, this yeah. ain't fair, we've got to help <laughs> National out. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they dropped like flies, and yeah. I don't mean of the flu. No, I know. It's remarkable. I mean, I can't think of a time where four ministers, I mean, you know, through a variety of reasons, none of them good. I mean, Mick and Fiteri, okay, she left of her own accord to join another party, but without saying a word no. to the to Labour, without saying a word to the Prime Minister. I mean, remarkable. But four ministers going bang, bang, bang within the space of just a few months. I can't recall that happening before. And, you know, that obviously, I think, if Labour had any chance, that just ruined it. Those ministers basically put the nail on the coffin. Well, I think, you know, probably the, the, the coffin was already in the ground, so um, they, but they, they certainly finished any hope that Labor might have had of resurrecting it. But it, it faced, obviously, big problems around the state of the economy, inflation, and a, a huge frustration and tiredness from people around the COVID yeah. response. Yeah. I mean, remarkably, in 2020, the COVID response got Labor that 50% result, Yep. majority in its own right, but in 2023 it got them, you no. know, down the tubes. Well, because everyone gets sick of bad news. 
and they get well, sick of got yeah. sick of bad news, of got sick of being told what to do, yep. and and the, you know, but yeah. Yep. Also, at the beginning of the year, who apart from you would have given any odds of Winston making a comeback? Well, not many people did, I don't think. Which I think is you know, and it's a great. He takes great pleasure in rubbing people's faces in that, but um, but I mean I must, but but he you know, they've they've come back before, so you know I I remember looking at the polls even when they're around two percent or so. When you're at that level early in the year, you always think New Zealand first because they New Zealand first seems to have this knack of kind of gaining momentum and really surging quite late in the electoral cycle, and that's you know what happened again. Well, let me let me ask then, what, what do we make of Luxon not ruling out of Winston? And, I, and I, I'll tell you what I mean. The correct answer, in my opinion, uh, from Luxon should have been, it's not up to me to decide who I'll work with. That's up to the will of the people, and if they re-elect him, then that means they want me to deal with him. He did not say that, but he also didn't rule him out. Yeah. Would, in your opinion, that have made a difference if he had of? Oh, look, we'll never know. I'm not so sure that it would have. People made comparisons between Christopher Luxon and John Key because John Key did rule Winston Peters out in 2008. But the circumstances were quite different. Yeah. At that point, National's polling was much higher then than National had um, in 2023. So... And I, and I think there was pressure on um, Christopher Luxon, I think from a few donors, because I, I noted that there were a few donors to the National Party who also then donated quite a bit of money to New Zealand First. So I think it was almost like a bit of a you know, down payment to make sure things happened. So, uh, yeah, I, he had to keep his options open. You know, what would have been the thought had he ruled Winston Peters out and then that meant that, say, Winston Peters, the New Zealand First, presumably... If, hadn't got to 5% because people thought they're not really part yeah, of the government. Well, his vote would have gone somewhere else. Would have gone somewhere else. But if it had gone, say, somewhere else where it meant there was a centre-left government... Well, they were probably would have hung parliament. Yeah. What about ACT? Now, they had a great first half of the year, and it seemed to come a cropper. Around the time David Seymour said he might not go into coalition with National and might basically make them fight for every bit of legislation. That was just stupid. Uh, they look, did well up to that point, and then well, the I'm polls sure, turned I'm around. I'm not sure that polls turned around on that. They comment. did, I checked. The, the polls turned around a bit too on New Zealand First surging in support based on that, because yeah. there were... At, at, to be well, honest, because I, if not him, who? Yeah, yeah, but I think it was better for ACT what happened, because I think I think at that point ACT's... How could it be better for ACT? Well, I think it, because I think ACT's polling was being artificially boosted by a number of just grumpy conspiracy theorists and otherwise, who, who wouldn't make for long-term allies, if you like. So in that sense, Axe vote went back to more of its strong, stronger support base. It still did well. It's in government yeah. in relatively big numbers. So I don't think that it will feel that it had a disappointing year. What about the Greens? Bit of a nothing year for them, really. Well, except for the, <laughs> the massive celebration they had on election night. Well, and then they realised they're basically in nowhere land. Well, that's, I mean, it was, it's a bit of sweet. I mean, they had their best election result Ever. They've got the most MPs in Parliament than they've, than they've ever had. Who are all sitting there offices so, going, what do we do but, now? But, yeah, they're out of power. They don't They don't have any real influence now, say, for instance, on climate change no. policy. Um, so, yeah, one of those things in a strong position politically in terms of the number of people in Parliament, but not in a position to really pull any levers in government. So not a good year for them. Right, let's get to it. Who is the loser of the year? The loser of the year. Or, or losers of the year. We're talking individuals or parties. And obviously it's the, the Labour Party and, and, and Chris Hipkins. 
For me, it's uh, the losers, losers of the year was the, those Labour ministers who uh, were fired or forced to resign that, in my opinion, like you said earlier, cost them the benches. Yeah. Well, they, they didn't cost them the benches, but oh, they, I think they, they certainly did. didn't help. Yeah, okay. I think they did. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they, you know, they, well, they all lost their jobs, so yeah, they yeah, did. Well, that's yeah, that's right. right. Did lose. Now, which party gets the party of the year? The party of the, the party year. The party of the year. Well, I didn't go to all their parties. Oh, I don't no, mean the Christmas party. Um, I, I, you'd probably have to say New Zealand First. It was out of Parliament. Yeah. It's now not just. It's not only that. It's just. It's back in Parliament. It's actually in government. So that you know, okay. you'd have to give that. See, I went for it to Party Māori. Yeah, I mean, they, and the reason being is that they, they took all those seats. Yeah, that they look. They the, got the overhang. They they got yeah they got. It was a sensational. They result, got a though. number of seats, but they're in opposition still. I so, I agree, but this so, is not about which well, which got got part of you in well, position of power. Well, I don't that, need to explain. Most political parties <laughs> are in politics to try and wield power. New Zealand First is wielding power. That's to true, Māori but to not. Party Māori, of course, uh, we had all of those protests that they yes, organised. Yeah, yeah, they I are know, a political force. Oh, yeah, look, they are that, political. That I tell you what, come uh, twenty twenty four, we'll be hearing a lot more about them. But they are a political and force, and yes, I marked them down as a party that's done well. But if you're going to say winners, New Zealand first. Okay, who who was the politician of the year? Politician of the year, um, I think you have to give that to the new Prime Minister. Beginning of the year, he wasn't Prime Minister, he was opposition leader. Some people were questioning his leadership. He's now the Prime Minister. Can't argue with that. Or can I? Uh, yes. You see, but, I, I know, I yeah, agree with what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. But I've given it to Winston oh, look. on the basis that, yet again, every time... Everyone said, no, it's not going to happen. Yes, here he is, yet again, yet again. We all know Winston. He's exactly back where he wants to be oh, yeah. again. Yeah, oh, look, I mean, Winston Peters yeah, is a close second. Actually, you know, probably second equal with, with David Seymour because you think of David Seymour. When he took over the leadership of the ACT Party, Yes, it, was, it looked as though it was dead. It was at 0.5%. That was its vote. Yeah. I mean, and he has dragged it back. You know, got to go. He has dragged it back from oblivion to being a party of size. Yes. And now influence in the government. So, you know, there's a number of contenders. Well, yes, okay. So we beg to differ. Well, um, that's it until Parliament restarts again around the 16th. Uh, no, it's not the 16th. Now it's the end because they were going to come back earlier. Now it's, I think it's the 30th now. Yeah, right January, at the end. For yeah. two days and then a week off. Well, yeah, before <laughs> I tongue it. But. <laughs> right, okay. Now, Brent, it's been an absolute uh, a pleasure being wish, here in Parliament with you. Wish I could say the same. Yeah, I understand that. I just said it to make you feel good. Okay, good. Uh, throughout 2023, uh, I have enjoyed your wit. I've enjoyed your wisdom, your insight and your insults. What have you enjoyed about me? Oh, can I come back to you next week? Yeah, we'll have it, have it next year. <laughs> so I, I look forward to seeing you again then, then. And thank you for spending time with us throughout the year. We appreciate time is precious, so thank you. Enjoy your break if you're having one. So did you bring the bubbles? Where's the bubbles? I've got chocolates. Have you? Oh, oh Walker's chocolates. Walker's. Oh. oh, thanks so much. That's really kind of you. Hello. <laughs> Like what you're hearing? 
Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. In the second in a series on politicians who have moved back into the business world, I'm joined by Auckland Business Chamber Chief Executive Simon Bridges. Well, I, I guess it's fair to say you've kind of moved into the business politics world. Is, yeah. is that a, a fair summation? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think in a way that's an entree. Um, and as much it was, a, it's a great way to be in the business world. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I am on some company boards. Um, I do have, you know, um, my own uh, business interests that that you know I've moved into. And you know, obviously, like any business person, hoping to. Um, uh, grow. And so, you know, I think I'm, I pr- you're probably right. It's probably been a sort of a hybrid or a transition uh, for, for, for me. Um, you know, albeit I, I, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that um, I'm no longer a politician, albeit I deal with the political class uh, and I am, I am a business person. But presumably your political background is a real help in, in the job with the Auckland Business Chamber. Look, I think so. I think what is true is, um, at the risk of being uh, entirely immodest, you know, political leadership does give you transferable skills and experience and expertise at a level. You know, you understand, um, um, you know, organisations, how to make things move, you know, how to grease the wheels, if you like. You have a sense of realism uh, about what, what can and can't happen. And and that is, um, at a level, transferable um, into business and certainly business associations, uh, as as you say. But any uh, pangs of regret as National is now back in government? Uh, sometimes I miss the adrenaline. I think there's no doubt politics comes with a lot of adrenaline. The phone is always going. The text messages keep flowing. Um, that stops at a level after politics, and you have to get used to that. Um, business, despite what business people think, moves slower. And I think in truth there's a lot of business people that don't sufficiently understand politics. I think they do, um, and they, they make the mistake of things very similar to um, to business. You know, it's not. It's in fact um, quite a lot more complex in its way, more more multiple, if you like, or multipolar is is probably the word I'm searching for. Many angles and things moving. The actors involved don't necessarily make rational in a business sense decisions, albeit they're acting rationally from their own kind of a personal position and political preferences. And of course, everything in politics plays out in the public eye. Um, so I, I think it's it's true that business people don't necessarily look at politics um, with quite the respect for the skill involved they, they could or should. You know, equally, that, that might be said at a level with, with politics. And um, all of that said, I think what I've learned is what's true coming out is some pol- politicians, even, you know, serious ones who've done well in politics, struggle uh, out in the what some call the real world. Um, and, and I think the worst advice I ever got um, was, look, take your time, don't worry, it'll all come to you. Actually, no, uh, when you're out in a small market like this, you know, you need to take every coffee date, um, you need to look at every opportunity and listen and learn a lot because you are moving from one very interesting but discreet field into another um, that's that's quite uh, uh, different. And, you you know, you do need to be um, have, have a degree of humility, of learning, of listening uh, from people in the new world that you're uh, that you find yourself in after a long time. 
you're still in obviously a, a, a public role, but is there less public scrutiny now that you're out of politics and, and do you feel a sense of relief from that? Oh, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think um, what is true, um, even in media interviews, if I can say this, I don't want you now to start being mean to me because I've said this, but, you know, I, I think what is true is everything is challenged in politics at a level. Um, you know, a, a, a political leader or minister or a senior opposition spokesperson can expect to have every fact challenged, checked and, and, and the like. Um, th- that is not so true in, in a sense of, of, of uh, either the, 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 the commentary around business and politics that, you know, I now at some levels do. I try to be a bit careful in the political arena having moved from that into to business, there is less scrutiny. It's and I suppose that's right because it is much more in the reckons and analysis rather than decision maker. Of course, what's true is if you're a listed company or the like, there'll be scrutiny on your numbers and your comments. Uh, and but but at a, as a generalisation, the scrutiny comes uh, comes right off, and that's um. There's nothing wrong with that, Brent. And I take it you've got you get more time with your family and 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 weekends. I think that's right. I think what's true about life out of politics is not that it's not busy. I'm still exceptionally busy with uh, the chamber, uh, some other board roles, uh, and 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 the like. Um, but you, you know, there is a sense with which you can control your time more. Um, you can make sure that um, you know there are spaces of time, and that's a luxury when you look at it from a political view. You know, in politics. Um, I think what people just misunderstand or underestimate it is it is, even if you're not working, um, a case of always being on the clock. You just never know when your leader, Chris Luxon or Chris Hipkins or James Shaw or David Seam is going to call and there's a crisis and you need to be involved. And in fact, in the political world, those are happening behind the scenes all the time in a way they, they don't tend to uh, at the same pace uh, in the business world. So you'd have a bit of sympathy then for those new ministers who've been sworn in. <laughs> what do they say? You know, drinking from a fire hydrant or whatever it is. Um, I think that's right. Um, and and it is a. I think it's got better over the years in this regard. There's a bit more mentoring and training. But it is a sink or swim world. You're very much your own franchise. I remember John Key saying that. You know, there's the brand there, but um, you, you, you need to make sure your particular McDonald's store is is going well, and that's up to you. And that's why we see, you know, some ministers who are outside of cabinet will shine, um, and they will make it into cabinet and climb that greasy pole higher. Some will vanish without trace, um, and that's true, of course, for cabinet ministers as well. Some we thought would go great, don't. Some people have underestimated, have grit and determination and savvy and go very well. That's that, um, that's that very slippery pole. Of course, all of that's sort of true in business as well. I suppose the points I'm making is um, it's somewhat less complex, a more co- yeah, less complex, I should say, in the business world. And the pace, again, I think, Business people don't quite get it. Is is, is somewhat uh, slower. Simon Bridges, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. 
MBR's Price Check series last week showed a huge variation in the cost of the same grocery items at any one time in the country's supermarkets. It's raised further concerns about how supermarkets compete, and to talk about that, I'm joined by Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister Andrew Bailey. Good good morning. Good morning, and... uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, I guess. As you say, this is our last interview for the year. But, look, what did you make about the information that came out of that series? Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate the NBR. You know, you did quite a few articles on the issue around evaluating pricing at various supermarkets. So I thought it was a very useful study. And I know that the Grocery Commission has also been following it very closely. Um, I think it's uh, revealing, isn't it, because... What it showed is that there is a lot of price variability um, and so you can put a positive and a negative on it. The positive is that if you shop wisely and use apps like the Price Pulse or the other one, the Grocery, that you, that you wrote about in your article, you can, as a consumer, lower your price. The other side of the coin... But, the, but I mean, that would though require for your average consumer quite an effort, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, but although online shopping's quite... Because I, th- I think the assumption is that you have to go to each physically to each supermarket yeah. is not necessarily correct. If you, because, you, you know, everyone does online shopping. I'm sure even you do here in Wellington. But um, the, the issue is that if you, you can get significant discounts if you use apps like, like, like that. And, but on the other side of it shows that there's huge variability in pricing this this up and down of the pricing, that extreme, of, I don't mean it in that way, but, you know, it's quite significant from the troughs and the peaks. So um, what does that indicate? I don't actually know, actually, whether um, we're seeing a seesawing of pricing and what what's driving that. And that's something that, obviously, the Commission should be having a look at. But, I mean, are you concerned, too, though, about a lack of transparency? Around pricing? No, because um, when you go into the supermarket, you can still have it, you'll see the unit price per 100 grams or whatever it is. Um, So that type of stuff, you've got the visibility, and I think that's been a good thing because then it is pretty good, you know, when you buy bacon or something, you look, I always look at the the unit pricing. Um, So those type of things are there in place. But I think what it's saying is that uh, if we can use technology, and it's not for the government to do this, it's but to facilitate and encourage these types of applications to come through, I think it's good for the consumer overall. As I mean, as statistics minister, you've also announced this: what new selected price indexes? Is, is yeah. that aimed at trying to bring more transparency around pricing as well? well the, the reason why we've got moved to that is um, CPI, which is another flash word for yeah. or initials for inflation, is only normally done on a quarterly basis, and if you're um, for businesses and or you know you're looking at wages or whatever um, that sometimes is uh, okay, but this selected index means that we can actually do it on a monthly basis. So it's more about providing much more timely inflation data. It's not a perfect uh, piece of data, but it's a pretty good indicator. And one of the projects that I had, uh, sorry the stats um, want to do is actually look at the basket that we are calculating inflation from. So that's a bigger, longer term project. I mean, the, the Grocery Commissioner, Pierre Van Heerden, you know, talked about MBR's um, series last week, and part of it he saw that it was putting more pressure on supermarkets just by putting more information out there. Do, do you see it that way? The more that we shine a light on supermarkets and their pricing methods, that that's going to put more pressure on them to be perhaps more competitive? Yeah, um, I think that's um, right. The 
it's great that you ran the articles, as I said, and I congratulate you for that. But you know, having a series of articles just um, in late '23 is good. But actually, what we're looking at is sustainable uh, pricing over the longer term, and that's his role to actually look at those more sustainable issues around making sure that pricing is appropriate. And so, the, you know, there's a number of choices he's looking at. You know, he's talked to you about some of those options from those new technology changes right through perhaps to a more heavy-handed uh, disclosure regime. But there's a whole lot of options in, bet in between. And is there more that the government might do that if over time you don't see the sort of changes you'd like to see? And I, I mean, obviously it's important to, to the government because you've made a big thing of bringing down the cost of living. And for yeah. a lot of people, the cost of living can be pretty sharp at the supermarket. Yeah, well, I've got a specific remit uh, in the coalition agreement. Uh, and one of the lines is um, look at uh, whether we need to give the Grocery Commissioner additional powers to drive further competition, particularly with um, the possibility of bringing in a third entrant. So I'm obviously having those discussions with the com Commission at the moment. Um, they're independent, but nonetheless we have a political will that we want to make sure that the Commerce Commission and the Grocery Commission in particular is focused on uh, looking and making sure that consumers in New Zealand can get a wide range of products at an appropriate price. And of course, uh, appropriate price is the operative word, it's not. So how long will you take before you sort of have a review and say, hold it, this isn't oh, working, look, we, those, we need tougher... Oh, we're having those discussions now about whether uh, we should be putting in place more... Um, more requirements or give the uh, commission more power at the moment. But so that's a short so those, sorry, those internal discussions with the government or discussions with the grocery commissioner about with that? the grocery commissioner. Uh, the, the commissioner is an independent, but I still, as a commerce minister, have oversight of it. So there's a little balancing act between obviously this political will to make sure the grocery commissioner's got all the powers that he needs in this case. Um, so that's a short term piece of work. But in the longer term, we are very concerned about making sure that we've got a dynamic, competitive supermarket industry as much as it can be in the current environment. Uh, and we will be monitoring it. I'll certainly be very keen to be monitoring it. What are some of the other options um, you know, for tougher measures you could introduce if, you, if that's the path you took? Well, uh, the Grocery Commission has already um, identified some of them. Um, some of them are more about making sure it's fair on... Uh, suppliers on uh, making sure the wholesaling arrangements are more appropriate, encouraging new technology, technical advancements. I've had conversations, part of the election with uh, people like Costco, you know, we've got Warehouse moving in. So uh, we've already flagged that there's some regulatory changes need to do around land use, uh, allowing supermarkets to come in. You know, it's obviously something that the, super, uh, the, the Commission reported on its in its final draft or final report. So there's structural changes and then there are things about um, making sure the existing supermarkets work uh, as fairly as they should. And then the third option is how do you encourage new operators to come in? And you know that comes into being like things like the Overseas Investment Act, uh, which is something that we're looking at as well, uh, right through, you know, when I, when I uh, had a discussion with Costco, when they were just starting up, the big issue at that point actually was getting access to good people. Well, you know, that's sort of moved on since then. But, you know, it's about talking to specific operators and saying, well, is there something we can do at a government level 
um, uh, to make it work. But you know, the government can only work at such a level. We we can facilitate these things, but uh, uh, we can't actually yep. you know set up. And if you're trying to ask me, are we going to go and require divestment or anything like that? We we haven't committed to that at all. Has the do you think that the supermarket duopoly is getting the message that it needs to change? Oh, I think so. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, they'll be keenly aware of what's going on. And uh, Andrew Bailey, thank you for your time. Thank you. And that's been this week's live from the hive. Thanks for listening.